Hello again. Welcome to another podcast episode, part two of the interview with Ms. Shia Yvonne and Ms. Afaf Ismail on several topics. The last time we met in part one was on the um, Think City uh, event, and then which was uh, focusing on housing and public spaces. And then after which, at the end, we concluded with some thoughts on te the teaching of housing in schools of architecture. So again, I would like to welcome um, Yvonne and Afaf. How are you guys? Oh, good. Good, good. Happy to start. <laughs> <laughs> so we're set for this uh, second episode or part two where uh, we're going to focus uh, taking into the queue all the, the things that we concluded later uh, in last the last episode on the teaching approaches in architecture education on housing per se. So now we, we want to take another step back and look into architecture education styles and approaches that one may have experience or one may have been reading on or other people talk about their schools of architecture. We have Yvonne who is teaching in UCSI here and who was in two uh, two other schools, the AA and Taylors, and we have Afaf, who is also a graduate from University of Malaya. So there's a lot of experience out there now. And um, so who wants to start first? <laughs> Who's dying? Silence. I can give the floor to Yvonne first this time. <laughs> okay, Yvonne, you may go into... Okay, so, so what should I talk about first? Like, architecture, uh, education, methods, or approach? The current approach, is it? You can review things that you think that could be better. In oh, okay. Yeah, all right. Okay. Cool. Okay, great, great. So, yeah, as mentioned in the previous episode, uh, we just went through the moderation. That's how I got a little bit of gist of the Malaysian architectural education, how it actually works. Although I was a local Malaysian architecture graduate, so that time I was a student, so I didn't have much say in like why. Wait a second, Yvonne, can you give the context, the background? You were in the moderation? What yeah. moderation? Oh, so this was a uh, external moderation. So we had uh, other professors from other universities like criticizing our modules and things like that. So, yeah, so um, I'm not going to say what they say during the moderation, but uh, that's how I get to know, like, oh, this is how it works, you know, as lecturers, how do you set the brief and then how do you, you know, make sure that the students meet the brief and things like that. And then whether or not our modules that we set are being, you know, approved by external moderators. So that's how I understand the system now. Uh, so what I felt is that, uh, I also mentioned in the previous episodes that uh, the projects in Malaysia is that it goes by scale. So it comes from starts from the smaller scale and then it slowly incrementally uh, adds up the scale until the final year. That's a very good and safe approach, I would say. So you make sure that everyone like slowly adapt to uh, every stage or every project. And then uh, I also went to the AA to study for part two. So I've seen the system in the AA. I'm not sure about other schools in the UK, but it's AA. Uh, for the AA, uh, it's completely different. It's not like how we do it in Malaysia. So they don't treat, um, I would say they don't treat 
part ones and part twos as two different things. They will treat them as the same. Like they will treat you equally like mature in a sense that you can handle whatever skills that you want. So uh, in this sense, if you apply it here in Malaysia, you, if you recommend something like this, uh, a lot of people will like kind of like scared, like, get scared, like, okay, um, don't think that undergraduates can handle this skill and things like that. But from what I see over there is that uh, they, don't, they don't have this kind of mindset that, you know, undergraduates cannot handle certain skills and things like that. They would say that if the students want to try, they should let them try to handle a huge skill if they want to. So that's a huge difference that I see in terms of mindset over there and over here. That they do not let age set the limit of the skills of the project that they can handle. So I think that's a very, very good thing. Uh, but it could also be a very bad thing because uh, it might end up uh, certain students uh, couldn't handle the skill and then end up you know, not producing things. Uh, that's one of the bad things that could happen in education because you didn't set a certain kind of limit for them and then they could go on forever and not produce anything. And another reason that is not being implemented here in Malaysia would be that uh, if the brief is too open in a sense, uh, students have a huge variety of projects in a huge variety of skills and then lecturers would have a difficult time to assess the projects because everyone is in different levels and things like that. So that's one of the biggest concerns for uh, assessors. Um, so yeah, that's what I see so far in Malaysia. Okay, Yvonne, um, you can add later if you wish. Um, I would just give a bit more points. Um, when you talk about the architecture education studio curriculum, um, I remember Amna, who is also an architecture associ uh, association graduate, yeah, Amna, uh, Emir of uh, that we had a podcast interview with her, who who mentioned about her last design thesis, or was it the the, the diploma unit? I think it's um, one of the diploma unit. They don't have design thesis there. Uh, they were just dealing with programs. They were not even dealing with design concept, you know. So this this. We know that um, sometimes the lecturer think up of the program and the brief. So you have 10 square meters of this, 20 and 100 of this and that. And then you just figure out how to put them together, right? And then you come up with a design concept. But in, in, um, in the AA, you, when we talk about the, own, the students finding their own brief, you cannot just conjure it from thin air. It is not even easy for the, the tutor to come up with a design brief. I, when I was a younger tutor, I had problems finding the right site for the right brief. Yeah, in a long, uh, for a long time. So, um, so programs, Im imagine if you are in a site in the middle of Kuala Lumpur and a site that is outside or in, in a rural area with just, you know, the first year. You have uh, in, in um, University of Malaya, you have uh, the first year, the retreat house. You just have, you, you have the prerequisite uh, water body, lake or river and trees and clumps of trees. Or maybe you add in some, you know, some, some more description. Second year is a familiar thing. And then, uh, you know, off you go and your imagination should go wild. But then again you need to actually underlie the tectonics of it. You, they have to be, it has to be buildable. Now the thing about 
uh, another quote, I, I was just talking about this in general, the, pro, the, 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 the difference between program and design concept. So another thing that uh, I read uh, um, from Jojo Grassi, I forgot, it was a TU Delft uh, article. Uh, the thing about architecture education, uh, studio learning is fine, you learn from the masters or you learn from case studies and precedents. And then the whole idea is actually to discover technical, the technical part. I assume it's the technomics. I assume it's how you want to put things together. This is uh, from Jojo Gracia. So, um, so maybe when you are saying that um, uh, in the AA, they have a way that um, there is this mystery called a technical thing and you have to discover that yourself, but other things like programs, um, the lecturers will set it up. You know, the lecturers will help you set up the program or give you books to read. Like what Lim does that in Taylor's. He's an AA grad as well. He, he gave them in Malaysian, in a Malaysian school of architecture, he gave them books to read. I was in a couple of their crits, so I know that pro what they did in his, in his studio. So it, they got keywords, they got clues, and then they had sites. And it was a site-based approach. So they have to knit together. But it was a fan, lots of fantasy there. There was a lot of, in terms of forms, it was uh, doing a lot of stuff. So the argument is in terms of what they read, how they start, and their storyline, the narration. Yeah, and uh, I did look at the plans and try to see if it works. So there's a sense of the technical as well, you know, if that's what Giorgio Grassi meant, you know, that the plan, um, the sense of buildability or sense of construction work. So I think, yeah, generally they work. So I think what Lim was trying to do, um, an AA in Taylor's in that unit, I think. So good to check out what he, he did there. So um, having said all that, I think Let's uh, hear what uh, Afaf has to say about the first part on studio design approach. Hi, thank you, Doctor. So, um, my experience again is limited due to I've only been a part one graduate from one university, which is University of Malaya. Uh, so my experiences cannot be it cannot be representative of the whole Malaysian. I don't think it's fair. To lump sum everybody either. What were, the, what were the questions that you asked? What were the things that went through your mind as you were a student there in terms of uh, the curriculum or the brief that was given? You mentioned about uh, uh, the repeat of community facilities in after first year. Mm -mm. And um, so it was the same thing that you were doing, the, you mean? The, the thing is... Uh, because I had, just as a background, I had research in between, there were six semesters total, right? Two semesters per year. So I had research uh, pretty much in between my second year. So after three semesters, doing that research on site completely changed how I looked at education and uh, completely changed how I viewed concepts and design. Uh, when I was in first year, I was more than happy to do things based on narration, based on uh, stories and fantasies because for the sake of creativity 
you but, but then when you've been in a disaster area you've seen like people they don't even have enough structures there's not even enough toilets uh i cannot go through that for a good half a year and have connections with so many families and i i still very much keep in contact with them i cannot come back to the studio and design for the sake of stories anymore it it just it just does not translate so um one thing that i do i can at least summarize that can be applicable to a lot of people one thing is that my university sometimes i see that the briefs are repeated or the sites are chosen based on uh ease so it's easier to choose the same site and uh some uh I, because i'm a student this is from a student's perspective i've never been a lecturer so i don't know what are the difficulties there could be from choosing a site but as a student it's not like we're not we're not like we're not it's not like we're not aware <laughs> so I get, we understand that if yeah we need to be clear because we have an audience listening is for this audience to understand you mean that the, you are doing the same site from another project to another project when you say that they chose the same site is no, it the year previous or previous year site same so, so which means yes and the exact same site so there was which means that wait before you go any further i choose same sites myself just to to let you know like the second year the health center project just to let you know the health center project mm-hmm. be, before you i want you to go and think about to comment further what are the issues here Bef, uh, in the second year there's some, a project is called health center because like a gym the gym has a lot of spaces wet and dry spaces so kevin mm-hmm. maklow said we have to actually the students need to understand design detail and plan uh, you know of this spaces so uh we keep on having the same site or a similar site um and a similar size and a similar context because like for example in bukit bintang you know that particular site i think we used twice that site was it we used twice is there a sense of continuity center? within the studio i know for the first the second year batch and it's for second year the first batch um, amelia's batch and then uh ju yin's batch came later and and did the okay. same time. Okay? So, was, the, was it the same we think that that's important for the student to learn that typology and that context. So, get what I mean? I have mm. an agenda of why the student should benefit from learning this uh, program. I think in general, they are happy about learning this. It's about the gym. It's a gym. Because the gym has three parts, like Uh, aerobics anaerobics and yoga and they have different uh, details floors <laughs> okay i i get you about you going into a different mode experiencing um your program architecture for humility right uh you know the mm-hmm. research and then i understand that because as an architecture lecturer i went and did social mobilization in, for united nation it's totally to do with case studies of poor people and disabled people So it sort of injected into my um uh my my teaching. I got the modal or I got uh ideas from my course that I learned on sociology or whatever into architecture. But you couldn't do that, could you? When you came back to University Malaya, mm-hmm. your ideas, you couldn't do oh. it in approach, is it? 
personally, I tried doing that. So um, going back to site, choosing on sites, the thing is that students are sensitive to the excitement of the class. So if we feel like it's the same thing again, we get very bored very easily. It's just a simple thing. Uh, but I also respect that some lecturers, they have an agenda. So that's fair. Yeah. But talking about my own uh, experience, it was difficult because uh, when there was a brief, let's say, for my own example, we had to do a hotel uh, in Ipoh, Pera, and the brief was tourism. Now, the is- issue here is that back in first year, I was taught that I could challenge the brief, right? For the sake of education, for the sake of academia, you must challenge ideas. No, If an idea is unchallenged, then it's no longer a, a discourse. It is something I will not mention. <laughs> but, uh, so, but that was not accepted well at all. And that was the problem where education now has, what I understand, has become something of like, you have to do it in a certain way. So you have to fit in that box. If you fit outside of the box, you're definitely, you're, you're not going to be accepted already. And it's a shame because nobody is, is, is the same. And if we expect our students to be the same, then I think that's a very unfortunate situation already. Yeah, there was an, ex- yeah. Uh, to help you in that, there wasn't a fit between you and the tutor's agenda. Because I have an agenda. Oh, yeah. I have an agenda, just as I mentioned to you. Uh, uh, I did a fire station for second year. One of my person who is close to me, my ex-student, she hates it. She hates the fire station project in the second year. So we, so, yeah, uh, the lecturer, ni ada agenda, you know, Kevin kata fire station ni efficiency kan, you go down the pole, you have accommodation, and then you see how fast you design in terms of you getting out, uh, the planning of it, you know, the, with the fire truck. So we didn't repeat that project for the second batch. I only had two second year batches at that time with Kevin Magno. So with the second time round, we did another project. So what I'm trying to say is that in a way, lecturers are also experimenting, right? For example, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, the agenda, I would say the experimenting and there is no like foolproof that that this thing will work. Huh? Uh, going mm. back into, um, um, yeah, yeah, I, I got lost a bit just now. <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> something, but please continue, Afaf. If not, then we can go into the next topic. I think we should go to the next topic first. Okay. Later, I'll just conclude everything. Okay, you have your piece of uh, what you're going to say later. Um, the point I'm trying to make is um, style of architecture education. Um, it is interesting because Afaf and I came from the same university and I'm a tutor from that university and Afaf uh, was a student from that university. In fact, uh, I'm not a UM alumnus. I'm from UTM, Leicester, North London, and you know whatever. And so I've been around a lot, and uh, I and am an admirer of Architecture Association. Uh, so uh, sometimes one of the things was I'm loggerheads with Kevin Matlow because Kevin Matlow is not an AA punya fan, you know. But I do have my conversations with Amna and other AA people. Because when I came back from England, right, I kept on inviting AA people, uh, graduates, to be my 
uh, external critiques, yeah? And um, so when we think about uh, future of architecture education, we see uh, um, at the end of the, the, the first degree or the second degree, so maybe you can comment on this, uh, whether it fits, yeah, the, the, the student of architecture from the first degree fit with the industry expectation, is that um, a um, important thing, you know, to fit into the industry? Um, is there many industries that will accept architecture graduates? Then if there are many industries accepting architecture graduates, does the policy from the uh, Malaysian uh, Board of Architects um, or the, what they call CAEM, uh, uh, is resonating with what is happening uh, with the industry. So this is purely from you guys' perspective, yeah, on um, what do you think what, that helped to set up the understanding of the future of architectural education. Or you can take this like, this is my vision of the future of education, it should be this way. You can set up like that. And I think, oh, I admire this, this future. Uh, like for me, I admire University of Porto. University of Porto is my kind of school of architecture. You don't touch uh, AutoCAD until the fourth year. <laughs> because I think manual drawing skills is so important. And also, there is a statistic that 100% of University Porto graduates who are not English speakers gets employed, not necessarily in Portugal, in Europe, especially in the UK. It's because of their drawing skills and visualization skills, whatever, which is compatible with the industry. So that is my piece. Now I'm going to give it, who wants to start first with that point? Afaf, maybe you want to start? You start. want to continue? I can start. I want to start. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> go on, go on. I think, yeah. So I wouldn't say wish list. I think uh, what I'll continue from what Apa was mentioning just now. I think I think a lot of Malaysian students, uh, to be honest, are mature enough to handle a lot of the difficult topics that we want to implement. But uh, again, like the brief seems to be quite limiting and things like that. And, uh, but I think, uh, I don't know, at least in my circle, I've seen like at least my friends who became educators, we are putting an effort to change that kind of direction. We're trying to change the brief to be more relevant with world issues, with real urgent issues uh, that we need to solve in this world right now. So uh, that so that part needs to come from us, the lecturers, to set the brief to be relevant to the world. So that's one thing. And I can tell you it's quite difficult, to be honest, because we want to comply to them, and then we still have to comply with our own agenda of going, becoming relevant with the world issues and things like that. So it's very, very tough on the lecturers. But uh, I think I've seen... Uh, some hope, like young educators are trying to make a change. And uh, the next thing would be, uh, I think that maybe, so talking about industry ready, quote unquote ready, I think this is something that um, both industry and educators have to really sit down and talk because uh, I don't think that 
education should produce quote-unquote industry-ready people because if we produce quote-unquote industry-ready people, then the brief will be even more boring. It will be basically housing projects all the way, I think. And then it might you know, teach you to do submissions for housing and then, I don't know, technical drawings, those kind of things. So uh, some people might say maybe it's helpful to learn all this in school uh, to be quote-unquote industry-ready. But I don't think that in schools you should be doing all that because schools are the very last place where you can challenge a lot of stuff. That's where you learn to think critically. That's where you learn uh, about uh, bigger things other than all these uh, technicalities. And because when you go to work, you don't have time to think about all these big issues. So, uh, and but in a sense, you might come out of school and feel like, oh, yes, I'm ready to change the world and things like that. And then you will get hampered down by reality. I think that's what most graduates face when they go out to work. Then, you know, a lot of all these really, really crushing realities uh, that they face, uh, they can't do this, they can't do that. Uh, there's a lot of stress and pressure, time, money. Um, but I still disagree that we should produce quote unquote industry ready players uh, from education. Yeah. So, what is architecture education for if it's not for the industry really, um, ready? What is architecture education So, I think um, probably I would say maybe I've said this before, but I think education, regardless whether it's architecture or not, I think education should produce empathetic people. So, you know, whatever you do in your field, you will be more empathetic. You think of the bigger picture. You will try to make a change in reality. I think that's what education is for because reality is so crushing. So if education don't produce idealistic people, there won't be people that is going out to do and make a change like Arkov, you know? Yeah, uh, if you're going to produce like robots, then I think that's AI's job. <laughs> that's what robots should do. We are not robots, we are humans. We, we have feelings, we have emotions, we have empathy. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I like that empathy because as um, um, empathetic people, as designers who are empathetic would um, try to be more sensible, you know, try to be using sensibilities, you know, in, in the design, uh, not just uh, that when they come into a challenge where maybe a developer who, who uh, says, uh, we don't care whether, the, whether, uh, whether people are happy or not with the, with the design, the empathetic designer will say, no, we should care whether people are happy with the design. You know, I mean, just a very basic thing like that and um, the in uh, my take on the what I said about University of Porto is that um, uh, you know that the, the curriculum was based on Alvaro Cesar and um, Suta de Mora and um, and you've seen their works and they are everywhere in Portugal and and it's quite when you start thinking about it, it's very it's a very Portuguese thing in a modernist tradition they have some certain sensibilities. I was in the University of Porto myself, enjoying the spaces. And there are um, things that were not accessible to me 
you know, um, it is not totally accessible, but I enjoy the architecture, the, the, the courtyard, the light and the space, you know. So I would think that, um, you know, when you personalize, it becomes personal. Uh, when you, 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 you sort of, um, understood what are the, what architecture is about, you know, um, and those are being prioritized in architecture education, the students will pick it up, you know, when they start designing the volume, the space and the details of things, you know. So there is a language of architecture that they, 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 they strongly acquire from the masters from University of Porto. So for example, if you go to University of Malaya, the, the color of that building is uh, yellow, blue, you know, the decision was to be made similar to the, the the branding of the logo. So there's no sensibilities at all. Who owns the school? The school and the education curriculum is similar. It should be synonymous with the intention of producing a certain type of graduate. There is no vision, overriding vision of a certain type of graduate. And, you know, for example, an, an empathetic graduate will will the sense uh you know what you get out of the school in terms of the physical building itself and how the curriculum is being played out in the implementation uh part you know how students are explore things has to be if you're saying you want to produce empathetic people you know what do you mean you know that is like to me oh it must be sensory design i'm thinking about sensory design i mean i'm not talking about universal design i'm talking about sensory sensorial experience of architecture if your architecture building sucks then take them out to 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 study on traditional houses shop houses buildings that are you know people love you know that so get them to feel those scales you know so that was one of them because of sensibilities you know you, you can't design without these sensibilities. Okay, there was a period when we were all online most of the time, and that was a challenge, but now we're getting back to uh, normalization. Uh, perhaps uh, Alpha would like to add more to the discussion on um, the future of education, Alpha. Thank you. So um, education, I think there's a lot that has already been spoken enough about the curriculum. I want to talk about the students' welfare as well. Uh, there's been a lot of drama or even scandals on the health, the mental health especially, of the students as well. Not just my university, but other universities when it comes to um, money. <laughs> the simple fact, survivability of the student. Uh, architecture as a course is very expensive. The computer itself is going to cost upwards of 5K. Some families do not make 5K a month. Uh, and that has not been very... It's been a hush-hush topic in the sense that not a lot of people want to address that some people cannot afford to study architecture. And um, it has come to that situation. That is one thing. And these students, they go into school, uh, whether it's public, public school or private universities, they pay a lot of money <laughs> to go through that degree and once they graduate unfortunately they're hit with another um, block which is the level of pay for graduates which is unfortunate 
Because I myself, I don't work in architecture immediately after I graduated. If all my uh, awards, if all my accolades or my experience, uh, the pay that was offered was still at average, which is fair because I'm an average student at that point. Um, I'm just a graduate and it's about 2K, 2.5 at a higher scale. Work as uh, another, I think like a call center will get me 4K. Okay, in PJ, how do you survive on 2K if you have to travel far to your workplace? Or how do you even survive 2K if you need suddenly like the office would require you to get your own laptop? Uh, I barely survived on my laptop that I used from uh, pre-university. That was like six years old laptop. And now you're asking me to get a new laptop. So that's another issue of elitism within the industry itself. Uh, we are elitist in our design. We design for rich. We design for the minority. But we fail to see that even in our education from home itself, we are elitist towards our own students. That's one issue. And we are also like, we don't have boundaries. I think a lot of people don't have boundaries when it comes to work-life balance, which is very important. I don't think it's fair to, I mean, some people, they're okay with messaging or knowing a deadline 12 a.m. the night before, a lot don't. Like you cannot message a, ch- a class at 10 p.m., 11 p.m., and 12 p.m. and accept and expecting a reply immediately. It's okay if you message that first, saying like, oh, I'm, I might forget about this tomorrow. So let me message first, but I expect a reply the next day or the next working day. I'm not expecting an immediate reply. Not every um, lecturer is like that. Not every person in power is like that. And when it bleeds in education, when it starts in the university itself, it goes towards your work. So your bosses expect you to reply. And then it's an easy answer. Well, well, um, yeah, the school's like this because when you go to work, it's going to get harder. So get used to it. I don't think we should excuse bad behavior. I don't think we should like say that it's going to happen anyway. So let's excuse it. That's one thing about education. I've seen so many of my own classmates who work in architecture. I've seen a lot of people burned out. Uh, a lot of my friends my final year, they're burned out. They just say they just want to graduate and not work in architecture any longer. And that says a lot about our industry. If we, within our own home, repel the very youths that we're trying to, to, to nurture, what about our designs? Do we actually, by design, repel people? Do we promote a sense of cruelty and lack of empathy within ourselves? So It's about lack of boundaries, elitism, and uh, lack of empathy within the education system as well. May I ask you, Afaf, uh, how many percent of those graduating from your year uh, uh, will continue to do architecture? Less than 50. Less than and 50. this was actually a research by Pam. Um, I think Architect Sarli shared this on LinkedIn. And it was a very funny graph where they showed the how many graduates actually work in architecture and what do they feel towards the industry. Uh, less than 50% are happy. Less than 50% are happy. The next 30% feel like they're not happy, but they don't know and what else to do because their degree pretty much forces them to do architecture because not a lot of other uh, industries would want architecture unless you start from the lowest level. Then the other last 30% mm. is actually completely unhappy okay. and they, they want to leave. So it's not a sustainable industry at all. This is uh, reflective of somebody who is um, born in 1987, eh, 1984, 
somebody who is I think it's my generation definitely yeah because they just graduated you're uh, you're in the yeah so this person older than you 10 years or so right she said no no uh, I think it's okay yeah she said 60% don't follow architecture because my batch which is much older uh, 60% to 70% for uh, continue with architecture Meaning that there is a cut, suddenly the graph, it becomes like a plateau because people don't have a choice. I suspect that architecture graduate from the first degree, people may correct me if I'm wrong. If your uh, 10 years, your senior is fluctuating at one, at 30 to 40% um, of people don't want to do architecture. Wait, 40%, you're saying? 30% 30% don't want, and there are more that will probably not do architecture as well, right? No, no, that is a separate uh, numbers altogether, but basically okay. less than 50 go forward to architecture. Less than Then within that 50, there's another research by PEM about the level of happiness and satisfaction. So uh, within that 50, I, 60% I of that 50 actually want to leave. At the same time, I don't use the pen when you survey. I use like I just ask you which batch you are, what, how old are you, and they themselves know how many percent of people from their batch, part one. You, uh, know, yes, you, it's, you it's just go around carefully with yep. different ages, and you can see the trend. So, you know, mm-hmm. uh, this is like valid um, points because they know because pen pen thing could be how do they what's the sampling like. Who do you represent? Maybe it's more from one school. You know, what you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm I'm like critical of surveys, you know. I really you know, what what how did they get the point? But but the point I'm trying to make is then it's quite consistent that less than fifty percent do not follow with architecture in the future. Mm-hmm. Consistently from my friend and what you have said and Pam said as well. And what do you think, Yvonne? You you all had certain discussion on this topic right uh okay so in lanai uh lanai zine so if you didn't know you can go to instagram uh, lanai zine they did a survey on yeah. architecture graduate salary and things like that so i think that's very in line with what i have to say so yeah the wage that architecture graduates receive especially at part one is not enough to survive so that's what the major conclusion that we get from that survey. And what I found is saying is very, very valid. Uh, mental health is super, super important. And that's what something that I am trying to be very, very careful of also as a tutor now. Uh, like not trying to push students too hard because not everyone has the same uh, family backgrounds or same social economic status to be able to complete their assignments and things like that. So, uh, although some tutors might not agree, like, you know, giving extensions and things like that, but for me personally, I'm okay with extensions as long as you uh, pass up your work and things like that. So, yeah, but don't take advantage of my kindness. Some some students also also take advantage, but yeah, but generally I'm okay with extensions. And um, yeah, I think... uh, uh, I think we are not trained to speak up about our stress and things like that. I think that's why there's a lot of mental health issues because a lot of people tend to bottle up and not talk about their issues uh, because maybe they view it as a weakness 
perhaps uh, at least for me I think when I was a student also I think I also view it as a weakness like not being able to complete assignments on time and things like that why, what, what's happening to me why am I like this and then you further isolate yourself and not talk to people but yeah so I think right now uh, we are doing this podcast I think we should encourage more people to open up if you have an issue whether it's a financial issue or is it a emotional issue and things like that uh, you must tell someone okay uh, trust. before we go so, we, yeah. we're talking on mental health a lot and i even had a yeah. community engagement project with my second year students on mental health but the point i'm trying to make is that uh let's we, we are now have only one and a half minutes left slotted yeah. so um is there any burning thing i mean i'll give you all two minutes each to talk about any what are your conclusions after these two days of two parts of podcasting the two episodes and what is your conclusion uh, regarding i'm sorry i have to give you two minutes each so uh, you can start first yvonne is there anything that is burning for you yeah, okay two minutes i think we talk <laughs> yeah i think we say a lot but i think uh i would say i am still hopeful uh about malaysian architectural education i think a lot of people are trying to make a change in their own efforts so yes we should continue to do it in our own capacity and talk to each other we should collaborate uh in further uh, improving our education in Malaysia. That's one thing. Uh, next thing is about the wage issue and the mental health issue. This is also another thing that we should continue talking uh, about because this thing will not uh, get solved within a year or because of this podcast, then it will get solved. No, uh, the main point is we have to keep talking about it. And I think uh, the thing with Malaysia is that we always feel like talking is a waste of time. But uh, but talking is basically the action. That is the action that we have to keep doing in order to get the change happening. So yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Thank you. Okay. Um. Thank you, uh, Yvonne. Uh, Afaf. Any um, any conclusions uh, for two minutes? I think the education should be more more of a cooperation with the youths not just a more of a top-down approach, just like our design shouldn't be top-down. Education should also work in cooperation with the students in the sense that there should be more empathy. And hopefully with that, it would translate better with our design. So we, we should treat our, each other better first <laughs> before we can start treating our design with more empathy. I think, I think that's the, my own, my most major concern when it comes to education. It's the balance and it's the empathy that I think is missing, especially due to COVID. <laughs> yes, thank you so much, uh, uh, Afaf. And um, we noticed that there is a lot of uh, uh, chat about mental health towards the end of this podcast. And uh, Afaf uh, actually went into talking about it, starting with, there is this thing, this, the relationship between universities and industry the perception of how we design our curriculum curriculum with the industry, meaning there, there is a, a assertion that the industry, how they treat the graduates with pay that is not, um, you know, that is very 
poorly paid, you know, the industry is, perhaps they're dealing with it. I don't know how they're dealing with it, but that sort of, may I say bullying is synonymous with some perceptions that um, universities are taking into account. Now, one thing that um, I would like to, to share here is with 2,500 ringgit after part one, uh, and compared to the call center, which is 4,000 ringgit, and the call center is a mundane job. You're not going to learn anything, but 2,500 ringgit, you will learn things from me. I am the master. You are the apprentice. So you'll be grateful to get the 2,500 ringgit. Is that correct? That sort of, can Afaf? That sort of mentality that, that sort is of mentality. fortunate to have, yeah. So, you see, we are stuck with this mentality that um, um, that is the bullying, the bullying mentality. I, I just say it out loud because in when we talk about boundaries, because this, you brought up a very important thing. Boundaries is space, words, and touch. So from mental health perspective, the words is also can trigger you or can make you very dejected. Like a lot of students of architecture, in the second year, I have a student who is very good in English. She comes to me and say, she's, she did the best in my architecture theory assignment. She said, I don't want, uh, second year, okay? I don't want to do architecture, I want to do graphic, uh, graphic design. So I thinking, uh, you know, you're halfway through and you, th you know, is is. You've gone through and you loved architecture, but suddenly what are the things that have affected you uh, mentally that suddenly you talk thinking about that? Could it be the, there could be so many reasons for her saying that to me. She wasn't under me. She was, she was not a student under my group. So, wow, you know, it just happened that I was dealing with her at that time. So I was thinking that normally people don't ask those questions until they finish their three years, yeah? And they're considering architecture, but no, they're afraid of architecture. They're afraid of being, you know, they don't see themselves doing part two. Uh, and that is from a student that I think potentially she's above average, I think, uh, in terms of what I know of her work. So, right. Okay. I can say many things. Obviously, I've experienced everything. But I, firstly, I, I like to say that this has been a very fruitful discussion, both the podcast episodes part one and part two with Miss Chia Yvonne and Miss Afav Ismail has been wonderful in terms of the frankness and the honesty and the sincerity that they want to convey to uh, listeners out there. And we have listeners from all over the world, you know, Australia, America, and everywhere, you know. So, so they are happily listening as well, and there could be some ideas for them as well. And so I, I thank you very much for being here and doing this uh, with Talk Architecture and your host. <laughs> thank you, Yvonne and Afaf. Thank you. Thank you, Najati. Okay, wait, uh, I just close it.